This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. My name's Aaron Miller, I'm a travel writer, and this episode, we are going to one of the world's most incredible countries, and we're going to do something that has never been done before. Christian Pondella is one of my favorite adventure photographers. He shoots for Red Bull, he shoots just about every extreme athlete you've ever heard of, and he shoots absolutely beautifully. And his best story from the road, the most extreme, insane place he's ever been, which is saying something, is somewhere that no one else had ever been before. We are going to the Greenland Ice Cap, one of the wildest and most remote places on Earth, to find a moulin, a giant hole in the ice. And then we're going inside it. That's right. We are descending into the ice cap. We're actually going inside it. It's a place that no one had been before. They had no idea what they would find. And spoiler alert, what they found was terrifying, breathtakingly beautiful, and crucial to our understanding of how glaciers work, how ice caps melt, how sea levels rise, and how climate change is affecting us all. It's going to be epic. So if you want to follow Christian, and I think you will after hearing this, his Instagram is just awesome. And you can find it at at Christian Pondella. That's P-O-N-D-E-L-L-A. And also by checking out his website, ChristianPondella.com. And if you do happen to go up to Mammoth for some skiing this winter, which I highly recommend, look him up. He's on the slopes all winter long when he's not out doing something crazy. And he might just be able to give you some tips on where you can catch that perfect adventure shot or shred that perfect Mammoth line. So we're just about to get on with the story. But before we do, and really quickly, remember, if you're enjoying the show, it's free, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. And you can help by spreading the word and helping this community grow. Tell a friend, a fellow explorer, leave a review on your favorite podcast app. It really does make a huge difference. I'd also love it if you'd follow me on social media. My Instagram name has actually just changed. I got bored of having to switch different handles on different platforms. So now I'm just armchair explorer podcast across both instagram and facebook don't worry if you follow the old name it just automatically updates and please if you can sign up for the newsletter too at armchair-explorer.com every few weeks i send out a very short email with some awesome travel and adventure things to read watch listen and do it's free it's fun and I think you'll enjoy it. Remember, you can also book trips inspired by the show. I have links up on each of the website episode pages, or you can reach out to me directly because I am setting up an adventure travel agency, an adventure agency, which is very exciting and really just means me and you connecting one-on-one and using my close to 15 years experience as a travel writer for the likes of National Geographic and the London Times to help you plan out and book your ultimate adventure. Let's make that dream trip happen. But don't worry about that just yet, because right now, one of the world's greatest adventure photographers is going to take us on his best story from the road. We are about to descend into the unknown. Are you ready? Yeah, me too. 
Christian picks up the story talking about how he got his big break in photography, which, by the way, wasn't something he had initially studied or planned to do. He just kept going up into the mountains at Mammoth with his friends and kept taking his camera and kept getting better and better until suddenly, by chance, a moment arrived and it changed his life. One day I was skiing on the mountain and uh, met up with this guy and we skied most of the day together. And uh, it was probably around, you know, one thirty or 2 in the afternoon, we're riding up the chair. And uh, the conversation went, uh, you know, beyond what's the next run we're going to ski or how much fun we had on that last run to kind of what, what we actually do. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm the photo editor for Powder Magazine, which Powder Magazine is the, the, the iconic ski magazine in the world. His name's David Reddick. Um, and I told him, hey, I, you know, I take pictures and I like taking ski photos. And he's like, send me something. He sent me, send me, a, send in a submission. You know, he gave me a call after looking over my photos and gave me some really good uh, constructive criticism. And I took that and um, went out again with uh, good friends of mine who uh, were trying to get into the ski world as professional skiers. And we went into the mountains and spent like four days camping and skiing peaks just in the backyard here. And uh, my friend Hans Ludwig ended up writing a story for it uh, about the adventure. And I sent in the photos. And then that following year, it ended up being a feature in Powder Magazine. And that was my, uh, my start to my photography career. And he never looked back. And that is, I think, a really great example for anyone that's interested in doing something creative, whether it be photography or writing or filmmaking or fine art to just follow your passions, do what you love and keep your eyes open. Keep heading into the mountains, keep getting better and good things will happen. But photography is also more than that for Christian too. I think for me, it, it gives me just an, an appreciation like where I live in, in Mammoth Lakes. I, I live in such a beautiful place and um, I, I guess you could take it take it for granted you've got access to these beautiful mountains and and i'm fortunate to where my house i just walk out on my back deck and i I got an amazing view of the mountains and uh, you know i look at it every day and um you know you can take it for granted because it's there every day but then you know you'll get these amazing moments where the clouds build up and get this crazy sunset and i'll just walk out on my deck and take a picture and put it on the computer and develop it and just be like my god look at this you know and it grounds me in that regards where it's like, don't take it for granted. And this is an amazing place. And, you know, you're fortunate to be surrounded by, by so much beauty. That is exactly what photography means to me, too. It grounds me. It makes me present. It makes me look at things closely. And those moments of stopping and noticing and being in that moment with nature and wildness always makes me feel grateful. Just really, really grateful to be there. And that is why I love it. And that's also why it's such an amazing hobby for anyone that loves travel and adventure and just getting outdoors. So stick around because at the end of this episode, Christian's going to give us some tips for adventure photography, which I think you're going to find really useful, whether you're shooting with a big proper DSLR or just that little phone in your back pocket. But back to that big break, because after that first assignment, Christian kept chipping away at it, kept having fun with his mates, documenting their trips, perfecting his art, getting better and better. Until one day, a little company called Red Bull knocked on his door. That was about 20 years ago. And he's been going on some of the most incredible and frankly, insane assignments for them ever since. 
that company, that brand has given me the opportunity to uh, photograph all kinds of crazy, crazy sports, um, just about every every kind of adventure sport there is. And you know, over the course um, with, with the athletes they sponsor, I've had the opportunity to shoot like a lot of, I guess you'd call them world record attempts and stuff like that. So, you know, I've had a, a snowmobile trying to do a distance record of over 300 plus feet. That's a jump. He's actually talking about jumping a snowmobile the length of a football pitch. I don't know anything about snowmobiling, but I'm pretty sure they're not supposed to do that. And if you think that's bad, well, that's nothing. I had a, a friend of mine who was a rebel athlete uh, skydive out of, a, out of an airplane without a parachute. And he landed in a little net that was like 100 feet by 100 feet. That was probably one of the, one of the crazier things that I, I, I've seen. Yeah, I guess it would be because skydiving without a parachute is basically just plummeting to your death. And the net, well, check out my social media. I'm going to share this video. It's terrifying. The guy's name is Luke Akins. And the net is only like 100 feet across, and he's got to hit it from 25,000 feet high, traveling at terminal velocity, which, by the way, is a well-named speed in this instance, because if he misses, well, just imagine what would happen if you dropped a grape from the Empire State Building. Yeah. Uh, he had lights, kind of like the lights on an airport runway. You know, if you're if you're on the green, if you're off the red, depending on the angle. So he had those to help him. And, you know, he, he jumped out. So he was free falling for a couple of minutes before he got close to the ground. Here you are watching this happen. And, you know, he's got his wife and his kids on the ground right there watching. It's- Things not to bring your wife and kids to. I think skydiving without a parachute into a tiny little net is probably as close to the top of that list as you can possibly get. They say Red Bull gives you wings. They don't. Completely insane. Speaking of which, that's where we're going next. Because all of this is really just preamble so that you know, A, how awesome Christian is, and B, the level at which he's operating so that when he says that this trip, descending into the Greenland ice cap, is the most intense and extreme assignment that he's ever done, you know the level at what he's talking about. And that is where we're about to go. But first, let's meet his partner for this trip. Pro ice climber, Red Bull athlete, an all-round awesome guy, Will Gad. Will Gad is uh, hes a Red Bull athlete, and that's kind of how we got connected. This is when I first started working for Red Bull. And, um, you know, over the, over the last 20 years, him and I have been on a ton of amazing adventures. Primarily ice climbing, but uh, some rock climbing, some paragliding. But it's, it's usually ice climbing with him since that's his main main sport. Will Gad is a legend. He's put up some of the hardest ice and mixed routes in the world. He's an X Games triple gold medalist. He was the first person in the world to ice climb Niagara Falls, which is nuts. So basically, when Christian and him get together, gnarly things happen. The crazy adventure started back, I believe it was 2007 when we went to Sweden. And the, uh, the idea of the trip was to go uh, ice climbing underground in these mine shafts or these old mine shafts that were, that they didn't, you know, kind of abandon, I guess you would say. And uh, we knew that there was ice that had formed up in these mine shafts, you know, like 200 feet, 300 feet below the ground. So that was kind of the start of going into the ground with him underground ice climbing that's a new one on me and actually it was a first for the guys too 
Will said the ice in there was so beautiful, so sculptural, that he felt like a vandal in a church chipping away at it. I love that description. So yes, they have done a lot of crazy stuff. But this trip was also one of the most important because the more Christian and Will worked together, the more they wanted their adventures to be about more than just pushing physical limits, more than just giant snowmobile jumps and suicidal parachuting. They wanted it to mean something. So Will ended up actually doing a project in Alaska where he took a bunch of glaciologists into the Athabascan Glacier itself. That was cool, but it wasn't quite big enough. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. And then that project fueled him finding a a glaciologist who studied glaciers in Greenland, Jason Gulley. And he spends a lot of time in Greenland on the ice cap, studying the glaciers, using instruments, uh, calculating the movement, basically to find out how much water melt off is, freshwater melt off is going into the sea. And um, he started this project with uh, with him to where the idea was to go into a moulin, which a moulin is if you ever see these beautiful photos of of glaciers or video where you've got these like gorgeous rivers of water and eventually they drop into a hole and disappear into the glacier and that that hole where that water melts into is called a moulin and then eventually the fresh water goes into the moulin and then it goes beneath between the ice of the glacier and the rock bed and it kind of lubricates the the two and eventually flows into the ocean and that is what affects how much the the glaciers are melting and how much uh, how fast they're moving to the sea and that affects sea level rise Greenland lost more ice last year in 2019 than any other year on record. 532 billion tons of it. That's a ridiculously big number to comprehend. So I actually did a calculation and that's the equivalent of, get this, 5 million aircraft carriers. 5 million gone in one year. And the rate at which the ice is melting has been increasing rapidly since the 90s too. It's currently faster than anything that's been seen in the last 12,000 years. So we can expect that number to increase. Glaciers are the canary in the coal mine of climate change. Because they're so sensitive to small changes in temperature, they act like an early warning system for what's happening elsewhere in the planet. And by actually going inside one, inside a moulin, these giant holes in the ice sheet, the measurements and science that they can do is unlike anything else that had been done before. 
Sometimes, to learn something no one's ever figured out before, you have to go somewhere no one's ever been before, too. Traditionally, you know, Jason would drop instruments on a long cable down into these moulins and, and get readings like that, but had never gone inside one of these. So for this trip, it was a two-part trip. We had to go there in the summertime. It spent some time on the ice cap exploring to try to find a moulin. And then uh, the idea was to return in October before it was full-on winter, but it was cold to where there was no more water melting. And we can actually uh, repel into these uh, into this moulin and explore it from the from the inside. Nuts, right? They were going to abseil, repel from the middle of nowhere in the Greenland ice cap, hundreds of feet into a gaping pitch black abyss that could very well swallow them whole in any number of ways, never to be seen again. I mean, awesome, but nuts. But actually, they wanted to go a step further than that. These guys, as crazy as they are, Jason's a uh, like an expert cave diver. So he goes down into the into the caves with water and does those the crazy, you know, scuba diving, which to me is, is, seems completely horrifying because you hear all kinds of stories of people going down in these caves and not coming back out. So they, they, he, according to Jason's calculations, um, he figured, and a lot of these moulins have a, what's called a it's called a sinkhole at the bottom, and it turns to water. So they thought that they were going to repel potentially 200 meters into this moulin and hit a uh, and hit water. And then they wanted to put on scuba gear and explore into the water and go even deeper. What? I mean, abseiling into a moulin is one thing. That's extreme enough. But then to get down there and actually scuba dive underneath it is like extreme squared. But Extreme Adventures is what Greenland is all about. The town we were, we were at was called Aluisit, which is on the west coast, and it's on Disco Bay. And it's one of the main kind of like iceberg places for people to go to see icebergs. And the icebergs come right off of uh, the ice cap, goes right into the water right there. So you, from town itself, you just stare out and see icebergs floating in the bay. It's incredibly beautiful. But then you can actually go for a walk along the, uh, the edge of town along the coast and go to the point where the the ice cap meets the ocean and it's this gorgeous little bay in there and there's uh whales in there swimming all the time and breaching and so you see that the way the town is it's these little little houses that are incredibly colorful bright yellows and orange and greens and blue and it's super picturesque and people are people are super nice Lots of husky dogs, you know, in the wintertime, it's a necessity to have uh, have your dogs take you out to go hunting for food. It was cool. And for that first trip in August, we, we spent a lot of time in the town of Lewiset. So we got to kind of immerse ourselves in the culture. And it really is an amazing culture. Approximately 90% of the country is Inuit and they still live a very traditional life, living off the land, following the seasons, hunting musk, oxen, caribou and seals, taking only what they need to survive. And as we'll see, surviving is not easy in a place like this. More than 80% of the country is covered by ice. If you've ever flown from the UK to America, if you're lucky and you get a clear day in a window seat, you will pass over Greenland and it is the most incredible thing you'll ever see. Just endless white space, absolutely untouched and wild. Whenever I see it, I just want to jump into it to experience what it's like to be immersed in nature that pristine and vast and they actually got to do 
just that. They spent a few days in the small little town of Alalasat watching the crystal blue icebergs float through the bay, and then it was time to head out onto the ice sheet itself, where the adventure proper would begin. And the plan was to um, go out on the ice cap. Jason Goley spends... He goes out there for like six-week periods. So he has these huge uh, camps set up out there uh, with big tents, and he's got all his instruments, and, you know, he's pretty pretty set up to, to, to live out there for a while. So he had invited us to come out there and join him at his camp. So uh, I think it was like the second day or third day, we got in a helicopter and, and, and did about a 30- a or 40-minute flight and uh, got dropped off on the ice cap. And it was summer. Still got really cold at night, and... But the days when it was sunny out were, were nice. But, it, you know, on the Greenland ice cap, it's kind of like if you go out there, it's um, it's just flat as far as the eye can see. And it's really windy. It's the, the characteristic of it. So, you, you'd be, you know, we'd had some nice days, but then uh, you, you'd have periods where you'd have these, you know, 40-mile-an-hour wind just constant, just blowing. Um, but it was kind of more of an exploratory mission. And it was kind of to get our bearings on on the ice cap and in and, and, try to figure out where the moulin was that we wanted to go back to to explore and which we did we found the perfect moulin when you see them come up to this thing in the video which i will share and put up on the website it's kind of terrifying it's basically a river flowing across the glacier in a deep trench that it's scoured into the ice and they just follow this waterway until they see a narrow dark crevasse at the end and the water is just pouring down inside it into the darkness but it was too dangerous at that time to actually go inside the ice was too unstable so they marked it on a map and then planned to come back in october when the water had frozen and they could safely descend inside but seeing it first doesn't necessarily make it any less scary in fact it makes it a lot lot worse we went there the first day we went and found the moon on a on a really windy day. We trudged out there and saw it and it hadn't snowed. And, um, you know, it was easy, easy walking to get to the Mullen, except for the, the strong winds. Um, so we kind of got a look at it, but we weren't really able to, to explore too much. We, we, we found it and we're like, okay, it's, you know, today's not the day to try to do any type of exploration on this. So we went back to camp uh, and I remember that walk back to camp, you know, it was several miles and it was straight into just this crazy, like 40 mile headwind the whole way. So you're like walking, like, you know, head down, um, carrying lots of gear and stuff. And then when we got back to camp, the, it, it snowed for like the next day or two. So we kind of were stuck in camp, couldn't really do anything. And then it cleared up. So then we went back to the mullen and, and the day it cleared, it was, uh, you know, there was maybe a couple inches of fresh snow. So it was gorgeous and white and beautiful and no wind. So we went back and, and you know followed the, the the river to where the it drops into the mullen and then um, we you know we all got out the ropes and you know started rappelling over the edge and we all got to like kind of rappel into this mullen you could only go in so far because eventually the water would you know would soak you but um, I remember just kind of rappelling over the edge into that thing for the first time and only going down about 15 or 20 feet and it was just horrifying because you're, you're you're staring into this black chasm that's just dropping infinitely into the into the ice cap and you're just like if you know if i fell right here i'm gonna disappear forever never be seen again you know there's no there's no rescue 
But it was even more horrifying knowing that we were going to go back and go to the bottom of that thing. So the whole time, you know, for like that two months when I came back home and knowing I was going back, it was it was really unnerving for me. I, you know, I've done a lot of trips where, you know, you put yourself in dangerous situations. But for th this one really kind of um, more than others was uh, really, really unnerving knowing what we we're going to do, you know. No chance of rescue, no guarantees of safety. One of the most remote places on the planet, a pitch black abyss. Just imagine staring down that in that wild place, knowing you're going to have to come back in a couple of months and go inside. Returning in October was significantly different in that it was so much colder when we went back. And, you know, it was it was early winter. And when we got dropped off on the ice cap, uh, temps were like minus 20, freezing cold. And, um, you know, there was maybe a 48 hour period where the winds never stopped blowing below 40, you know, and you're so exposed and it was just brutally cold. Like if you walked outside, you couldn't be out there for more than a few minutes and that's fully clothed up. So we'll, uh, you know, the first thing was clearing out all the snow, kind of chopping it away, opening up the hole a little bit bigger so you can drop in without stuff falling on you. And then um, Will uh, rigged the ropes to go down to the bottom of the mullet, and on his way down, he would do a lot more cleaning up because there's a lot of uh, free-hanging icicles and stuff. So you have to knock those down, and just he has an eye and, and the, the knowledge of the, like where's the safest way to, to be descending down into here where you don't have obvious overhead hazard potentially that could fall on you. So he went down and, and rigged several ropes down to the bottom and then uh then it was deemed safe for the the rest of us to make our way down in there and um and it's a series of repels you know it's not just a straight shot boom easy repel you got to repel down maybe you know 30 40 meters and then switch ropes to that kind of angle you to a different direction and then repel on that rope and then another rope to get eventually to the bottom and it's, it's a, a very unnatural place to be going you know and, and especially um especially ice because I, I spent a lot of time around ice and just knowing the uh, unpredictability of, of ice and knowing that, you know, big chunks of ice can just calve off at, at, at any moment without any warning. So you're kind of, um, not to say you're playing Russian roulette, but you're kind of, you know, in, you're in a very, very volatile situation. In the Red Bull film of this expedition, there's a point at the top of the Moulin as Will is descending down and you can barely hear him. He has to shout over the roar of the water rushing down past him. And he turns to the camera and says, I've been to some wild places, but this, this beats everything. What they are doing is next level stuff. The power of that place, the noise and energy is amazing. And it is volatile and dangerous too. Glaciers move. They are literally rivers of ice. And because of that movement, they are changing all the time. Things collapse, break, there's ice fall. Nothing is secure. The waterfall from August has frozen over, but the wind is relentless, and they have no idea where it will lead or how the conditions might change. They take their time carving their routes, setting up safety lines, cleaning away potential hazards, and slowly descending further and further into the abyss. Until finally, they're inside, and it was like nowhere else on Earth ever been it's pretty eerie you know you're in a place that no human's ever been before you know i i you know in today's world there's there's not a lot of that type of exploration i guess you know um so yeah it's pretty it's pretty wild to you know when you're down in there you know you're as you're as far and as remote as can be you know especially out on the middle of the greenland ice cap <laughs> 
And, um, you, you know, I, I remember you getting down on the bottom for the first time and it's like there was the there, there was four of us, you know, and we all got down there and it was just like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's like seeing the Holy Grail or something like that. You know, you're just in this place of it's just awe inspiring and a place you're not supposed to be, you know, a place you're not supposed to be. That is in many ways the essence of extreme exploration, isn't it? And what they found was not what they were expecting. Jason predicted that the Mulan would just be a vertical hole, like a mine shaft into the ice. But when they got down there, it was actually an enormous cavern, like a grand cathedral hundreds of feet across. And that was the first important discovery, because they had no idea that caverns like that existed in the Greenland ice cap. And those caverns could act like reservoirs for the meltwater. And they could also regulate the water pressure at the base of the ice sheet. And that affects how quickly the ice cap moves and how quickly it melts too. So that was a new discovery and an important one for the science they were doing. But they also found danger. Glacier caves are notoriously unstable at the best of times. But this one, because it was so big, was almost collapsing in on itself. The cave was slowly cracking up and being squeezed shut. They would have to be very, very careful. We had, we had a lot of time down there. You know, the, the first day or two was just, just trying to see how far this cavern went. And um, we eventually got to the bottom where it turned into the slushy water. And that was where they were hoping to scuba dive was in that water. But it wasn't, it wasn't diveable. Yes. Sorry, it turned out that didn't happen. It would have been so cool. But that is what happens when you go somewhere that no one's ever been before and try to do something that no one's ever tried before. You just don't know what you're going to get. So scuba diving was off, but they still had important work to do. So they kept going back for the next few days, rappelling in on those fixed ropes that Will had set and exploring deeper into the canyon. But the deeper it went the more dangerous it got to. Where the water was, it was like a, a slot canyon that meandered past it, the floor of this uh, this water. So we we tried to traverse alongside that slot canyon, you know, with crampons and ice axes and ropes and go, go sideways to try to explore that further. But we got to a point where we could see this uh, big bulging, displaced piece of ice that had this uh, crack running along it. And we knew it was not safe to, to go past that where we'd actually have to be on it or below that because it looked like it potentially could fall. And that's no joke. One of the biggest dangers of ice climbing is falling ice. If the quality of the ice is bad or the conditions are insecure, you could get hit by falling ice at any moment. And Will and Christian had actually already come close once before on a trip where a huge block missed them by just a few feet. So they understood the risks. And here, inside the cavern, they were in the fall zone the entire time. So they weren't taking any chances. They retreated back to camp, and then things got worse. That night, the temperature dropped about 20 degrees, and while we were sleeping that night and in the morning, you just heard these loud cracks because uh, that's just the nature of, of being on the ice cap with such a drastic temperature change. The ice is cracking, and the, uh, you know the, the ice is always moving. It's slowly moving a foot or two per day. You know, and obviously, you don't feel that when you're on there, but the, it, it is moving while you're on it. So that day we, we deemed it was unsafe to go down there. It was, you know, it's probably like minus 30 out and the wind was blowing like 40, 50 miles an hour. It's one of the coldest I've, coldest I've ever experienced and I've experienced some cold places before. And then uh, it warmed back up that night and things got 
kind of back to somewhat normal and we went back down the next day and that huge ice block that we deemed unsafe had calved off amongst a bunch of other ice had fallen into the cavern and in big you know piles of ice had piled up where we had been the day before uh, so we made the right call of not going down there and then that uh that slurpy icy wa- you know slushy water had completely frozen over and the floor where, where we couldn't uh, go any further it had just huge plates of ice on it and uh, we were actually able to walk the rest of that slot canyon to the end of it to where it ended and we actually could see this is the end of it and and that was one of the, the the more eerie, scarier things any of us had ever done was was walking through this these ice walls with these huge plates of freshly fallen ice on the ground, you know, and it was uh, incredibly unnerving to go down to the end of it and just see, okay, this is the end of the this is the end of the uh, of the uh, moulin that we can go, and uh, let's get out of here. <laughs> we turned around, and, you know, um, and and back up to safety. The first goal of any adventure, of any expedition, is to come back. Come back home. So they didn't get to scuba dive under the ice cap, but they did get to come home safely. And they did explore just about deeper than anyone had ever been before. And Christian brought back images of a part of our planet that no one had set eyes on before, too. And that's pretty incredible. But more important than all of that was the work that Jason was doing. Because what he learned on that trip, by actually going down inside a moulin and measuring what's happening inside the glacier itself, changed our understanding of how glaciers work and how that affects climate change, sea levels rising, and the future of our planet. What they learned, quite simply, and this is the essence of science, was that they were wrong. The model everyone was using to measure how quickly the Greenland ice cap is melting was based on inaccurate data. It needed revising. The moulins were far bigger than anyone expected. And that meant the way the ice cap would move and respond to global warming was potentially far different too. And it could actually be good news. It was previously thought that the ice sheet was on the brink of a runaway, rapid melting phase. Like a train just accelerating until a sheer mass of its weight would get it to a point where it just couldn't stop. But now there's a chance, Jason believes, that there might be some internal checks and balances too, based on what he found in the Mulan, that could prevent that runaway scenario from happening. That doesn't mean the ice isn't melting, and it doesn't mean there aren't a lot of imminent dangers. But it could be slower than was originally thought, and that could be good news. More work needs to be done, but the only way they could have discovered that was by going inside, by descending into the unknown. Well, and I've been going on these, uh, you know, these amazing expeditions for, you know, two decades now to just to go ice climbing. And um, to, to kind of take that to a, a different direction to where you can actually, you know, study what's happening with the environment in the, the global warming crisis and, and, and have a scientist with us um, cer- certainly made the trip that much more important and, and, and that much more special, you know. Photography for Christian has become more than just pretty images and crazy adventures. It's a way, his way, of changing the world, one crazy ice climb at a time. And I love that because our adventures can be about more than just having fun too. I believe, and one of the reasons I became a travel writer, I believe that the first step 
in conservation is falling in love with the outdoors. And photography and video, writing, poetry, whatever your art is, is the best way that we can communicate that wonder and bliss that we feel on adventures to the wider world around us. And if just a little bit of that gets through, if we help just one person discover the outdoors and fall in love with the planet, then we have changed the world just a little bit too. So I asked him at the end what his tips were for photography for those of us maybe looking to get into the field or maybe just to get better as a hobby. And this is what he said. Shoot things that you're passionate about, subjects you're passionate about. And, and, and if you're doing that, you're going to be... You're gonna you're gonna produce better images of what it is because you've got such an interest, you know, and a desire for for what it is that you're shooting. And a lot of um, a lot of what I do for my photography is in the mountains, and I just I'm immersed in the in the subjects. You know, I would be going out, and many times I do. I go out skiing without a camera just because that's what I want to do. And so while I'm out in the mountains, immersed in the the, the subject of what it is I, I love to do, I'm always. I'm always looking and I'm always conceptualizing, you know, oh, wow, this would be an amazing photograph, you know, uh, for skiing, for instance, you know, and and see, okay, the light's hitting this particular slope at this time of day, at this time of year, um, and this is when I need to be here, and, and, you know, and you'll conceptualize what it is you want to do and then go back and, and capture that image when all the elements come together. That's such good advice. I've heard that before from other pro photographers. Conceptualize the image first. See it first. Immerse yourself in the sport you love. Find those incredible scenes where the light just hits it perfectly and everything lines up. And then picture that moment, that image, just how you want it. And keep coming back and keep shooting there until the image you imagined in your head becomes the one everyone else sees too. So get out there. Do your art, do your adventure, soak up that wonder and pass it on. Who knows? Maybe you'll discover somewhere that no one has ever been or seen before. Maybe you too, one day, will have the chance, if you're brave enough, to descend into the unknown. Thank you, Christian. Thank you for taking us to one of the wildest places on the planet, Please go to his Instagram page right now and follow him. His photographs are truly awe-inspiring, and he's just a really cool guy to hang out with too. At Christian Pondella is the Instagram, and his website is christianpondella.com. And finally, as always, thank you most of all to you guys for listening and supporting the show. It means the world to me, and I absolutely love going on these adventures with you. If you love it too, spread the word, tell a friend, share a little bit of that inspiration because that is what it's all about. Remember, the more we look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who we are. Dare to be truly alive.